If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 43, as we continue our sermon series together on Joseph, the story of Joseph, is this not an incredible story? I mean, God in his richness has given us a story of, of a family where I bet if we look closely, we see ourselves there. We see ourselves in the midst of their dysfunction. And we also really hope that you see Jesus in this story. I mean, again, because all stories of the Bible are going to point to him. And what another incredible story that God has for us. Uh, what we've already found that this, this family, by the way, it's God's promised family. And they, like us, I mean, they have dysfunction running rampant. And you want to ask the question, can they ever get along? Can we just ever get along? Can we have any family peace? Has anybody else been there in a family? Have you ever had one dinner table discussion? Say, can we have one dining room discussion and have peace? Well, we all try to navigate through that. But in Jacob's family, wow, what dysfunction. You see the sin that they've committed against each other? Brothers who would hate each other to the point of wanting to murder them and and then decide, no, let's just sell them. I mean, that dysfunction is deep. And that dysfunction has caused some really deep wounds. And the only way for there to be family peace has got to be family transformation. Can you relate to that? I mean, sometimes you say, what in the world can happen to our family or our church or whatever relationship? You'll never have peace until you have transformation. But that's God's plan. Last week, we saw that there was a family reunion and we see the beauty of our gracious God. You got to hear this. The beauty of God is a family reunion isn't enough for him. God doesn't just want to get his people together. God wants to, to reconcile his people. God wants to bring peace to his people. Family reconciliation, family redemption is always God's plan. It's God's plan for us. It's God's plan for this world. And the only way we're going to have that is if we're transformed. And that's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the Bible is what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, transforming us. We're going to see in this passage that God is bringing peace. Uh, The Hebrew word shalom. It's much weightier than the word that we say peace. God is making all things new. God is making all things right because God is a God of peace. And that's what he's going to do. He's, he's going to bring shalom to what is one of the most dysfunctional families you'll ever see. Really bruised and battered because of each other's sinful behavior. God is doing the seemingly impossible. Have you seen him do it in your life? What do you think is so dysfunctional in your life? It's like, there's no way. There's no way that that Aunt Mary and Uncle Joe are ever going to talk to each other again. I mean, there's no way that this will ever happen. And that's kind of the feeling in this passage. Can we ever have peace? What is going to have to happen? But God is going to do what only God can do. God, listen, God is going to bring good out of the evil that brothers had for one another. They, They would sell a favored son into slavery. God is going to use even their sinfulness, even their dysfunction to bring about God's good. And you got to understand, God's going to bring peace. And as we started this story, if you remember, in the very beginning, when we looked at this in Genesis 37 and 37, four, it says this about Joseph and his brothers. They hated each other so much. They couldn't even speak peace. I mean, have you ever been that sideways with somebody and you can't even speak 
peace or, or a greeting to them. That's, that's the picture. And that's the chasm that God is going to have to bring to bring peace and lasting peace. And it'll only come with repentance. It'll only come with forgiveness. But we also got to remember, God has a vested interest in this story. Why? Because, well, this is God's promised family. I mean, it's from this family that he's promised that a seed will come that will bless all nations. It's from this family that one will come who will be the very prince of peace. This is God's family and he's got a vested interest, just like he's got a vested interest in you and in me. And he'll move heaven and earth to make sure that this family tree is healthy. We're going to look at three things. We're going to recognize uh, recognition that leads to transformation, transformation that brings peace and peace that enables this incredible reconciliation. Now today we are going to read scripture. Are we going to read a story? We're going to read Genesis chapter 43 and 44. This is going to set a Guinness book of world record reading scripture right here in, in church. But I got to tell you the truth. The story is so good. I didn't know what to leave out. What can't we say about this great story? So will you do me the great favor of leaning in? The words will be on the screen above us. Actually, it starts in your bulletin in chapter 44. We couldn't get all of it in there. But I'm going to read and put on glasses because this is a lot of reading. And we're going to hear God's holy and errant word. Pick up this incredible story of Joseph. Please hear the word of God. Now, the famine was so severe in the land And when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, you got to notice Judah. Judah is on the rise and we'll see why Judah is going to take center stage. But Judah said to him, the man who, by the way, is Joseph solemnly warned us saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, whoa, 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 whoa. Israel said something is happening here. There's a transformation. God is using the name of Jacob, Israel, his covenant name. Change is blowing in the wind. Israel said to him, Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? They replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to the questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me. And we will arise and go that we may live and not die. Both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge for his safety. From my hand, you shall require him. If I don't bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man. 
a little balm, a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise. Go again to the man. And may God Almighty, El Shaddai, grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back your other brother, Simeon, by the way, and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am a bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose and went to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, bring the men into into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready for the men are to dine with me at noon. The men did as Joseph told him. And brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it's because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that were brought in. So that he may assault us and fall upon us and make us his servants and seize our donkeys. I hit pause. Did Joseph care one lick about their donkeys? This man had it all. And yet they were worried about the donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sacks, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us and we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We don't know how, who put our money in our sacks. And he replied, isn't this interesting? From an Egyptian, the words of Shalom, peace. Peace to you, do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them that was held in custody until they returned. And when the man had brought out the men into Joseph's house and given them water and had they had washed their feet and when he had given their donkey's father They prepared the present for Joseph coming in noon, for they heard that he should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. Remember that first vision he had? Remember that first dream? Here they go again, bowing down to him. And he inquired about the welfare, the peace, the shalom, and said, is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, your servant, our father is well. He still is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and he saw his brother, Benjamin, his mother's son. And he said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out for his compassion grew warm for his brother and he sought a place to weep and he entered his chamber and he wept there. Then he washed his face and came out controlling himself. He said, serve the food. They served him by himself and then by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews for it is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth, all in order. 
And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table. But Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. Basically what this is saying is they drank and they got drunk or at least a little tipsy. Always refers to that in the Hebrew. Then he commanded the steward in chapter 44, that he commanded the steward of the house, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack and put my cup, the silver cup in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for grain. And he did as Joseph told him. As soon as the morning was lit, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to his steward, up, follow after the men. And when you've overtaken them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks? And by this that he practiced divination? You have done evil in doing this. Let's hit pause. You know what he's doing? He's showing them exactly what they did to him. He gave Benjamin five times as much to say, he's the favored son. How are you going to treat him? I'm going to give you an opportunity, brothers, to betray your brother. I'm going to make it look like that he drank too much and stole from me. How are you going to act? He wants to see what his brothers will do. When he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. They said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found in the mouths of the sack we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then can we steal silver or gold from our Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found, it shall die. And we also will be my Lord's servant. He said, let it be as you said. He who is found with it shall be my servant. And the rest of you, well, you can go and be innocent. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground and each man opened his sack and he searched beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes and every man loaded his donkey and they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, Judah again rises. What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants. Both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. Isn't it interesting? Judah doesn't say, we didn't do it. He knew that they didn't do this, but they knew that they were guilty of sin. But he, Joseph said, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go in peace to your father. The Judah went up to him and said, Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word to my Lord's ears and let not your anger burn against your servant for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant saying, have you a father or brother? 
And we, we said to my Lord, we have a father, an old man and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead and he alone is left of his mother's children and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then Then you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And then our father said, go again, buy us a little food. We said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, your father, by the way, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me and I said, surely he's been torn to pieces and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me and harm happens to him, you will bring my gray hairs and evil to Sheol. And now therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up with the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servants, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame for my father all of my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant for my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Let us pray. Father God, what an incredible story that you have for us. God, as we try to unpack these words, come and be that ultimate storyteller like only you can. Show us our place in the picture and show us Jesus beautifully, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. The first thing we're going to see, if you have a a bulletin you want to follow along with me, uh, there's an outline there for you. And the first thing we're going to see is that recognition leads to transformation, transformation of this incredible family. We see a transformation with the brothers in the beginning. Given the opportunity to get rid of another favored son. I mean, their dad has this toxic relationship with favored sons that, that they got to be just killing them. It's incredible that Simeon is left back in Egypt and he so loves one boy that he doesn't even send anybody back for him. And yet we see a transformation in the brothers who at one time had no problem killing or selling a favorite son into slavery in Egypt. Now we see them stand up and do what brothers should do. They said, no, no, no. We're all in this together. It's all for one and one for all. There's no way that we're sending Benjamin back alone. There's no way we're going back. We're all going back. We all are going to face this together. And we see a transformation And the brothers finally acting like godly brothers. But we see a transformation mostly in two I want to point out. One is Jacob. Did you notice what Moses called Jacob in the story? Israel. 
It's beautiful. It's poetry. It's powerful. Because here you have Jacob so nervous that he's going to lose all of his children. So nervous. And God's going to say, yo, Israel, do you not remember the name I gave you, Israel? Do you not remember it was a promise through you, Israel, that a seed would come? That through you, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that there's going to be more descendants in the sky and the heavens. Yo, Israel. Do you remember? Have you forgotten? And we see that there's a transformation. He hasn't fully forgotten. Because finally Jacob prays. Finally Jacob turns to God. Finally Israel does what Israel should do. And he cries out to the Lord God Almighty. El Shaddai. And he cries out and says, be merciful. Be merciful to my sons. Be merciful to my family. Be merciful. He finally looks to God for help, protection, and blessing. But we see in Jacob that transformation isn't complete. Just like in all of us. Can't you relate? There's a long way to go. But then there's Judah. What a transformation. Judah. Judah is going to rise and he's going to take the spotlight in this story. And Judah is going to shine. If you remember, it was Judah who was the brother that suggested slavery. It was Judah who, while they're eating a picnic lunch together, hating on the son Joseph that they have in a pit. He says, you know what? Let's not kill him. Let's make a little profit off of him. And so let's make a profit off him. Let's sell him and let's take his coat, that coat that we hate that his father gave him. And let's like dip it in blood of an animal and let's take it back to dad. And let's say that your son is no more. Do you know how callous that was of Judah? I mean, not, not only, listen, not only selling his brother, but not caring about his father. That he was willing to go back and say, oh, that, that favorite son of yours, uh, let me tell you, he's, he's no more. But now Judah, Judah's transformed. He's now a son who, who he can't handle that anymore. He's, he's going to say, no, 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 I will stand in place. I will stand in place of that favorite son. I will be the one. Take me, take me so that he can go free. It's Judah who's so transformed, who says in the story, I can't do this. I can't see my father grieve anymore. I've watched him grieve for years and I've been the source of it. Unlike his bigger brother, Reuben, who said, hey, I'll give my kids for a favorite son. Judah says, I'll give my very life. I'll be the surety. His life for my life, his freedom for my freedom. Judah on the rise. The amazing thing is it's through Judah's transformation that God is going to reconcile his whole family and bring peace. Jacob is the conduit to the blessing, but, but Judah is going to be the, the catalyst. Do you see what's about to emerge in God's story? You see the story of the Bible, the story of the good news of the gospel is this. It's from the line of Judah that one is going to come. That one is going to come who's as fierce as a lion. And who's as meek as a lamb. One is going to come. One who's going to fight for his brother's freedom. Even at the cost of his own life. And one who will say. I'll be the surety for them. I'll put my life for them. I will go. So that they will be set free. Judah. And the beauty of the gospel. Starts to shine. And the beauty of God's redemption. We see a light shining. A light for you. 
A light that Jesus would come for you and stand in your place. Say, may your guilt be my guilt. May your shame be my shame. And stand in our place. It's Judah. But Judah just really is going to point to Jesus. And Jesus is our peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He is the God of Peace. And it's in him and him alone that we have a transformation. That's the good news of the Bible, that God loves sinners like us so much that Jesus would come. He'd come and live the life that we failed to live. He'd, he'd die the death that we all deserve to die. Why? So that those who are dead in their trespasses and sins by God's grace and faith can be made fully alive in Christ Jesus. So those by, who by nature are, are children of wrath can be made joint heirs with Christ and children of God and children of the King. It's Jesus who will come and provide a transformation that will not provide chaos, but will give us peace, lasting peace for God's glory. The second thing we see is the transformation that does bring peace. It's, it's this, that shalom. Interesting, Jacob. Jacob was so afraid that he would lose his peace. Losing his peace meant losing his children, losing his beloved Benjamin. Here's what Jacob did. He wrapped his life in the life of his children. Does anybody have a tendency to do that? He wrapped his life, his mean, and his favorite son. He basically says this, my life will be a living hell without my two favorite sons, Joseph and Benjamin. My life wouldn't be worth living. Joseph's toxic favoritism makes him think that just if I, I've lost Rachel, my beloved wife, now to lose them, it seems like the rest of the boys are expendable. Simeon's not even mentioned by name. But these two, for Jacob, listen, for Jacob, a good thing, the welfare of his children, for Jacob, a good thing, the welfare of his children became an ultimate thing. For Jacob, a good thing, the welfare of his children became an ultimate thing. He basically says that there's no way I could ever be happy unless God does this. I got to tell you, God has a way of dealing with us when we take good things and make them ultimate things. But you got to hear the beauty and the reality of your God. God loves you too much. He loves you too much to let you take a good thing and make it an ultimate thing. Because he is the ultimate thing. And anything you place your hope in apart from him, anything you rest in, anything you say, I can't live without this. He's going to say, oh yeah. It's amazing. Jacob thinks he's going to be bereaved without children. If without children, how can I live I can't lose Benjamin. I've already lost Joseph. And God is going to take away all of his kids, leave them there in the promised land all by himself and say, Jacob, are you going to walk by faith? You're going to walk by, you're going to trust me here, Jacob? They're all gone, Jacob. Israel, do you remember the promises I had to you? And by the way, I haven't lost any of your children. That Joseph, you're going to see him. It's going to close your eyes. It's a beautiful thing. See, I think about this. I think, well, why was Jacob just so crazy about Benjamin and Joseph? I know they came from Rachel, his beloved wife, and only the two of his 12 came from her. But here's what I think. I think that, I think that Jacob realized it's got to be through Rachel. It's got to be through Joseph or Benjamin that God's promises are going to come. Everything else seems like you know, those, other, those other kids, are, they're fine. But these are the ones that God's promises must come from. 
And he was wrong. It was going to come through Judah. It's going to come through another child. And I just want to say this. How many times have we thought, well, God, you're going to do this. I know you're going to do this. This is the way you're going to act. This is the way you're going to go. This is how it's going to unfold. And God says, no, 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 it's not. God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are mysterious. God's ways include cancer coming back. God's ways include brokenness all around us and within us. God's ways are mysterious. But they're God's ways and we must walk by faith. We can't presume to know him. All that he's going to do. We know that he's going to be with us. We know we're going to make it home. But here's what we know. It's a beautiful thing. We know that Romans 8, 28 is true for those of us who are his. That all things, not some things, all things, all things will work together for our good and his glory. For those who've been called according to his purpose, all things. And God may have to redefine what good looks like in our lives. And God might have to realign some things. But here's the beauty of our God who cannot lie. All things work together for good. For those who love him called according to his purpose. You have Jacob who was so fearful of losing his peace with losing a child. And then you have Judah who was willing to sacrifice his personal peace for his favored brother and for his father. Judah, who's willing to say, I'll sacrifice my life. And it's amazing. It's in his willing sacrifice, his willingness to sacrifice his peace that he finds it. And he finds it for his family. And that's the gospel story. It's Jesus. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the peace of God who sacrifices his personal peace, who says, I'm willing to put on flesh and walk among them. I'm willing to even endure the shame of the cross and I'll count it joy. I'm willing to hang for their sin and their shame. I'm willing to have my father for the first time in all eternity turn from me because he can't even look on sin and cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was willing to lose that peace so that you never will. No matter what, no matter what happens, you never will. God will always be with you. He will never forsake you. This transformation that brings peace that only God can. And a peace that enables reconciliation. It was great after the first service. People were like, I can't wait the next week because you're going to see reconciliation. But that recon reconciliation always is found in Christ Jesus. He and he alone brings transformation and peace. The peace of God, the peace that we can have with a holy God with one another. True shalom. I think Jacob would have been fine saying, as long as I can have Benjamin in my life will be fine. As long as you don't mess with this one, I'm okay and I'll find peace. And God said, you are settling for so little. I am your peace. I can do more than you could even think or imagine. You think you lost Joseph, he's alive. You gotta trust that God can do more than you could think and imagine in your own life. And he will not let you settle for a shallow peace if you're his. He's gonna disrupt it. He's gonna, he's gonna mess with it in love. Why? So that you will understand the peace of God. That you will understand what it means to be a child of the king in the storms of life. That you are his and he'll never let you go. God will not let you have a shallow peace if he's giving you Jesus. The peace that passes understanding. This meal is a tangible reminder 
of the peace that we have with God, the shalom that we have in God, with God. This meal is a tangible reminder of the cost that it cost God, his own son, to secure that peace for us. He wants you to feel it, taste it, and remember the sacrifice to bring shalom into your life with a holy God and one another. To remind us of the transformation that allows us to be made new. To recognize the sacrifice made on our behalf. As we collect God's tithes and our offerings, prepare your heart, believer. Prepare your heart again to meet with Jesus at the table. If you're here today and you haven't placed your faith in Christ Jesus, may today be the day when you can know and taste the depth of God's love for you by not necessarily partaking of this meal, but instead, more importantly, embracing Christ as your Lord and Savior. What a sacrifice he's made for us. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this incredible story. The story of yours, the story that so beautifully points to your son, Jesus. Thanks for Judah. Man, was he a mess in the beginning of this story. Doing about everything wrong he could do. And yet we see him on the rise by your grace. Being transformed by your good news. To say that he would lay his life down for a brother. That he couldn't stand see his father in deep pain. God, we thank you for how that love points to Jesus who truly does not just say that I'll lay my life down for my brothers, but who does and who brings great peace to the father by doing so. God, in many of our lives, we wonder if peace is even possible in many of our families. And God, you may not complete the good work you started on this side of glory, but we know in you, you always finish what you start and you are a God of peace. Thank you, God, for not allowing us to have a shallow peace. Thank you, God, for challenging us with things that we think we can't live without, that we make idols of, important things that we make ultimate things. God, teach us to repent of those things and embrace the ultimate one, Jesus, both now and forever. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.